Some people they drink too much Some people don't drink enough Some people are just like me Good afternoon and welcome to the Lucky Guys Coctology Podcast. Uh, this is a big one. We're here with Brian Nation. How are you? Master distiller, um, head of Keeper's Heart, which is O'Shaughnessy Distillery here in St. Paul. Um, and Keeper's Heart not only is new to the area, but it's it's a new spirit that they're bringing to the world. And I wanted to dig in a little bit deeper, not only into the spirit, but also into how he got here. <laughs> the story is one. Um, we're tongue-in-cheek calling it the life of Brian, which is a hat tip maybe, as you can I tell. I love it. the movie, so right. it's, it's, it's great. And I think maybe we were both on paths where there's been bumps and, you know. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. just a flesh wound. Yeah, small yeah. bits. Yeah, a few yeah. of them are right along the way. Yeah, no. <laughs> so thank you for joining us. No problem at all. As you can see, we're here in the Keeper's Heart tasting room. I mean, those stills, that is absolute distiller's porn to me. It's so beautiful. <laughs> the copper is amazing. Um, we're going to dig in. First, we're going to talk a little bit about Brian. Just the basic background. I know you grew up in Cork, but I didn't know that the first time we met. Tell us about growing up in a what? Would you call it seaside or would you call it estuary side? Oh no! Like I mean, I grew up in in Cork City, the city centre. So I was very far from the from the seaside. Well, okay. like, when I say very far, I was probably an hour to my nearest beach that I could go and and, and enjoy the, the the seaside, if you call it. Yeah. But I grew up in the city, um, in a place called Turner's Cross. And had a fantastic childhood growing up there. We had some fantastic fun. What does a 12-year-old in Cork City, Ireland do to get in trouble? It's lots of different things. Yeah. Um, but it mainly it mainly ended up with playing soccer and football on the roads, um, probably breaking or hitting people's windows by mistake with the ball, um, and then running away, but then still having to go back because it was your neighbor's window yeah. you broke. So you never you never really got away with it. Um, we had, we had some fantastic fun. Like we used to play for hours out on the street, out on the road, just basically kicking ball or playing tennis or cycling up and down the hill thinking we were amazing cyclists or whatever, but it was just fantastic. It really, really was. Childhood heroes? Ah, oh, childhood heroes. My God. I, I suppose, you know, an honest one is my father was my childhood hero. Oh, that's wonderful. I always like, I used to just be so in awe by everything he used to do for us and, and, and all of that. So, you know, that was my, that was my one real childhood hero. Um, I had a brother also who played football for, for Cork at the time. And that was a great achievement for him. So, you know, you'd be following him at the games and all of that. So that used to be great. Wow. And then I used to love music. So okay. I used to love bands like Aha, R.E.M. All, and, and they were so diverse, you know, you'd have you been listening to Aha. Aha, yeah. Take On Me, right. one of the most amazing, groundbreaking actual video. video. Um, for, for music. And then I used to also love R.E.M. I mean, R.E.M. would be my ultimate favorite band of all time. He was uh, playing this time. morning. Yeah? They, yeah, here in, in the, here. In oh, the yeah, tasting absolutely. room. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we play we play a good bit of R.E.M. here, yeah. I think I wore out Life's Rich Pageant. Yeah, it, that, should, that was an amazing album. It sure absolutely was. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I remember going to see them. My first time I saw them was on their monster tour in Slane Castle. 
and I was in the 90s and oh my God, what a spectacle. Yeah. It was just phenomenal. And I'll never forget because it was my first concert as well. And I wow. will never, ever forget that day. 80 plus thousand people in an almost amphitheater like setting at Slane Castle in Ireland. You just can't beat it. It was fantastic. It was my second concert. Wow. Yeah. Okay. In Bloomington at the old uh, garden. Wow. wow. We, we have that in common. We have that's that, in, that in common, yeah. Um, so are you too, a little too young for Van Morrison to have been the top of, cause he's, I would, Irish, have, yeah. I would have, I would have liked music from Van Morrison and would yeah. listen to him from time to time, but you know, I wouldn't have been a, a, a staunch follower of him, you know, yeah. but he had some great, fantastic music. Yeah. That's amazing. And, um, not that like I, it wasn't that long ago that I find out my, my mother's great, great grandfather was born in Killarney. Ah, which is beautiful what? place to be born. It's like driving <laughs> to Hudson from here, yeah, right? Uh, yeah, Close well, to Cork. I, I suppose for, for Cork, it's about where I would have lived. It was about an hour, 15 minutes, yeah, an hour, okay. 20 minutes by drive. But a beautiful part of the world. I think that whole part of the, of the country, you know, you've got the, the west coast of Ireland and you've got that southwest coast. It really is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you go all the way through West Cork, you go all the way towards Kerry. You, you're going to see some amazing landscapes and just the people there as well are really, people really are friendly. Super nice. you know? Yeah, they really are. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then you... Uh Finished primary school, secondary school there as yeah, well? Yeah, so I, I was born, as I said, I, I lived in, in, in Turner's Cross. I went to primary school and secondary school there. And when I left secondary school, I decided I wanted to do chemical and process engineering. Yeah. So I had this idea that I wanted to be involved in an engineering type role, but also had an interest in science. So from the science point of view, I really loved the chemistry elements. Yeah. So... What I did was I started a, a degree in chemical and process engineering with the intention of ending up in a pharmaceutical plant or an oil refinery, because that was generally way, the way people in that type of a, a qualification ended up. Yeah. And I actually worked in both. Um, huh. I worked in, a, in an oil refinery in the east of Cork, a place called Whitegate Oil Refining. I, I did that through my summer internship. And also when I left college, I started working there. And then I moved from there to a pharmaceutical plant and I was working as a, as a what was called a module owner there it was a process engineering role effectively. And they were fine, but I just felt that they weren't fulfilling me as, as what I really expected it to yeah. be. And one evening I was coming home, for, I came home from work and I had a call from Irish Distillers asking me, would I be interested in coming for an interview as an environmental engineer? So I went to the interview and essentially the rest was history because I started there as an environmental engineer in 1997 and I stayed there up until 2020, July 2020 when I left. But how long between environmental engineer and distiller? So I did that for a year and then moved into almost like contract projects, trying to increase the capacity of the distillery, yeah. working in a, in a, with a group that were really looking to try and increase the capacity of the distillery without with minimal, uh, with minimal capital spend. Right. And then we moved on to more capital projects. But then in 2002, I joined the actual production team as a process engineer, but also worked shift on, on, on the production side. And between the, the project work and between the working and production shift, I got to know the plant really like the back of my hand. Yeah. And then obviously I was working alongside the, the master distiller at the time, which was Barry Crockett. 
uh, or great icon of, of whiskey, of world whiskey, not just Irish whiskey. And I was very fortunate to effectively be mentored by Barry for wow. almost 11 years before I took over as master distiller in 2013. But it was never, you know, it was never, I never set out to do that. It just happened. You just came in every day and did your job to yeah. the best of your ability and you built relationships and you, I did have a good palate and did some brewing and distilling exams. So all of that helped me in the, in, in, in the progression to that role. But I never started with that intention. Um, which I think is great because sometimes if you set yourself to these targets that are very, that are very rigid, you're always led to a disappointment when it doesn't happen or if it doesn't happen, whereas this just happened. And I was very honored and proud to, to, to get that role and have really loved the industry Mm -hmm. since then. And then made the decision to move in 2020 to another uh, another uh, country. Yeah. So, well, and it, and wow. we're going to get to that. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I don't even. I mean, your your history with Irish distillers leading both Jameson and Middleton is well known. So we don't need to spend time on that. Yeah. To be honest, yeah. because you know, but I do want to talk just at least a tiny bit. Like, where did these blending skills come from? Was it watching Barry? I think, you know, in relation to blending, my role in Middleton would have been more around the the new dislip being produced. I had less of a role in blending as such. Um, around Middleton, very rare, that was seen as the master distiller selection. But other than that, I mean, our master blender at the time, the Billy Light, and he was the guy, he was the guy that did all of the blending okay. at that, for Middleton. And I really think it's... It's actually learning from him and seeing the the uh, the expertise that he had, but also understanding when you're putting a whiskey together, what you're trying to achieve in terms of the balance between the different components, ensuring that you're putting components in there that are playing a part in delivering on the overall flavor, but not just being fillers for the sake of putting it in there. Right. And having having the the confidence to have an expectation of what it will be at the end but if it's not quite right or not quite the same of what you expected not being afraid to pivot to make changes to ensure that you get to your end game and I think that was a great learning experience for me when I started blending uh, Keeper's Heart to be honest with you. Well and let's touch on the fact that I mean you obviously just won Probably the most coveted. I mean, best Irish American or best Irish, Irish whiskey, whiskey, yeah, if, in but, the world. It, yeah, for twenty twenty three by uh, the San Francisco World Spirits which Awards, is the which most is the prestigious. Oldest, yeah, yeah, it's the most prestigious, and it's the oldest uh, running award show for for spirits. Uh, to get something like that is an unbelievable recognition. Um, we were we were we were shocked. Um, we were ecstatic about it. Still are. Uh, we really want to get that message out there because when you think about it, we're a brand that started from nothing back in August 2021. Right. And we took some, we sourced some whiskeys from Great Northern Distillery, our Irish whiskey, we sourced some Great Northern Distillery. And we, during that process, we sourced some 10-year-old whiskey through Great Northern that would have been old Cooley Distillery stock. And in order to make it our own, I wanted to do some type of finishing on it to, to enhance the overall flavor. And I was always a lover of Malaga wine and particularly the impact that Malaga wine can have on a whiskey. And, you know, when you're dealing with, with single malt whiskey, sometimes the mouthfeel of a, of a single malt can be that a little bit drier compared to the creaminess of a, of a pot still. 
So by finishing this this wine or this this whiskey in Malaga wine barrels, what it does is it brings almost like a honey-like texture to the mouthfeel, but it then also enhances and, and adds to the overall complexity of the flavor of by bringing some nice apricot stone fruit, some honey f- honey notes as well, honey sweet notes, and then also some almond nutty flavors. And that's all on top of your typical malt characteristics, which is that, that malty cereal biscuity type style and some of those fruits as well. Yeah. And it just brings a lovely characteristic to the whiskey and it, the the proof is in the is in the award. I I yeah. I, I expect with 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 the way it has been received in 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 market as well. Congratulations! Thanks a million. I uh, mean, as I said, we're as a as a team at O'Shaughnessy Distilling Company and Keepers Heart, we're just over the moon, and we plan to celebrate it too. Yeah, well, you should. <laughs> I mean, talk about that team because Patty came with you. Yeah, so we we have we have been very fortunate with the team that we have starting from our CEO, Mike Duggan, who has come from, he was experienced in Diageo, but was previously the CEO of Philips. Um, and then we have a breadth of experience from the, the spirits industry. Paddy, having Paddy come across as our marketing director, who was so much involved in in, in driving Jameson in, in the US for a number of years, but then moved across to lots of other Pernod Ricard brands like Absolute and, and Aberlour and all of those whiskeys. Um, he became very, very um, competent in what he does. And it just goes to show with the reaction that we're getting to our marketing campaign, how lucky we are to have somebody like Paddy in the in yeah. the team. I mean, our our, our ad campaign won uh, Icons of Whiskey Award in 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 the uh, in the Icons of Whiskey Awards a few weeks ago, or a few months ago in this Kentucky is the FU, for the ad campaign. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's so great. Um, yeah, it's 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 great. My mother hates it, but it's, it's absolutely great. <laughs> so, I, but all of those people, do you know them all? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> just actors just actors I was yeah, like, yeah. well they, they I, I actually they weren't that. actors they actually were prof- they they were people in their in in their right, profession right, right, right. but they were yeah yeah that's so um, yeah. it was very it was it was funny um, so I was a little it. bit you know kind of going oh do we really want to go down this road um I think today I think today you can the 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 theme song for our podcast is I'm not for everyone by, yeah. by brothers yeah. Osborne yeah, because you get to a point in your life when you stop worrying if everybody likes you because Absolutely. you don't have room for everybody anyway. Well, that's true. And and the other side about it was that we wanted to showcase that we are serious about our profession, yeah. but we don't want to take ourselves too seriously. Yeah. And, you know, we were poking a bit of fun at ourselves. And I like the idea of that because we are we are a brand that where people want to have fun and want to really kind of enjoy the moments that we have together. Yeah. The other part, like the, the distilling team that we have, we've been very fortunate. We've been, we have both people that have experience in distilling and brewing. So like our two lead distillers would be Kate Douglas and Chris Silber. And they've, they've a number of years of, of, of experience between Stranahan's and all the distilleries in, in Colorado. So, you know, bringing that understanding of American whiskey has been fantastic for, for me. And it's been a great addition to the team. And then the rest of the team members that we have have really embraced the process, have embraced the distillery and are really passionate about what we do. So we're very, very fortunate. And then, of course, we have the collaboration with David Perkins, the, the founder of High West Distillery. Yeah. He came on board as a liquid collaborator with us because he saw the 
um, the potential of this business. He also was excited at the uh, at the prospect of us pushing the boundaries of blending by bringing Irish and American whiskey together. Yeah. He was probably one of the first mavericks. Uh, I, I describe him as a maverick in American yeah. whiskey because he was pushing the boundaries by bringing bourbon and rye together. He also blended bourbon and scotch whiskey together. I do joke with him and say, thanks be to Jesus, you never thought of uh, blending Irish and American whiskey yeah, together because right. I wouldn't be here. And one of the, one of the, the, the genuine comments he made when, when, when I say that to him was, I actually didn't think it would work. And then when he saw the prototypes that we were doing, he was really excited about what they were bringing to the party. So he was um, also the first guy, at least as far as my knowledge, to to say, I don't care that I'm sourcing my whiskey at first. Oh, yeah. I'm going to make a brand. Yeah. And then I'll I'll move towards my own product by first putting things together that I think taste wonderful. Exactly. And I think from from our point of view. And I would have been very staunch about this, and so was David, but so was the whole operator, the O'Shaughnessy's and our CEO as well was, you know, we want to be authentic. We want to be very transparent about yeah. everything that we're doing. Yeah, that was smart. We're not trying to hide that we source our whiskeys. Yeah. How could we have four-year-old whiskey or 10-year-old whiskey right. after a distillery that started operating in August 2021? Yeah, you know what I mean? So I mean, so I knew Mike through a previous friendship. My okay. friend Alex introduced me to Mike, but... Let's talk just briefly about the O'Shaughnessy family and how that genesis moment where they came to you and said. Yeah, so back in November 2019, it's it's, it's so funny how, how it actually all came about. I got a, a LinkedIn message, would you believe? And and you get lots of LinkedIn messages for connection and, <laughs> and, and all of that. And you normally just kind of go, mm, yeah, whatever. For some reason, and I still to this day don't know what it was, I actually responded to the the message from Patrick, which effectively was, I'd be interested in having a conversation with you about an exciting opportunity of an Irish American, uh, uh, of a, a distillery in America uh, with an Irish connection. So I went back and I said, look, you know, I'm not interested. I'm not looking for a job, but I'd like to know more if there's anything I can do to help you. Wow. Please reach out. And... His his answer was that he he was stunned that I responded. So it took him four days to respond. I joke with him that he was playing hard to get, you know. Um, <laughs> but eventually he responded and he said, you know, let's let's have a call. So we had a call. And again, my expectation on the call was we'd have a chat for half an hour and part ways or, you know, give him a little bit of advice or give him a little bit of, of, of what knowledge I had that could help him in, in, in any way. But the conversation lasted about an hour and a half. And it was an intriguing conversation because we hit it off immediately on the phone in, in, in terms of a relationship and, and, and kind of getting a connection. And the parting conversation was funny because he said to me, look, if I'm in Ireland in the next three months, would you meet me? And I said, of course, I'll meet you. But I said, not interested in, in, in doing something like this. Um, but if there's anything I can do to help you that's not in conflict with my own role, by all means, I'll do so. Definitely will meet you for, for a drink or a, or a dinner or whatever. Yeah. So I came down and I was explaining this conversation to my wife. And my wife was not impressed, saying, why are you having these conversations? You're busy enough. You're married to the job. You spend more time in Middleton than you do at home. You're never going to leave Middleton. Hang on, but sure, if I can do anything to help him, I'll help him. And just as I was talking, a text message came through and said, look, we're actually going to be in Ireland in, in three days or two days, three days. 
um, would you meet us in Cork? So I went, oh, Jesus, they're coming that quickly. Yeah. And he was bringing his, he was bringing two other investors, which was his uncle and his cousin. So I said, yeah. And the next message came through about an hour later saying, would you like to bring your wife? So then I had to go back and explain to my wife. And my now wife was telling me I was leading them on. And I'm going, Jesus, I just had a phone conversation. I didn't lead anybody on. Um, and ultimately, after a bit of, of wrangling, we I convinced my wife to, to come as well. So we went and met them in uh, the Hayfield Manor Hotel in Cork City. Beautiful hotel, beautiful setting right in the, in the city centre. And again, expectation was a quick dinner, go home, and that would be it. We spent five and a half hours at the dinner. No talk about whiskey. It was all about family. It was all about, you know, our kids, about growing up, about what we kind of wanted out of life. And it was, and it sounds so cliched, and I'd be the first to slag somebody that would talk about an instant connection. But there genuinely was in that it was the first time I'd say I was very comfortable, and both of us were very comfortable very quickly in talking with people that we'd never met before. Hmm. So we got up to leave and uh, Patrick said, you know, we should talk about distilling. And this now was midnight. Yeah. So I said, Patrick, you know, we'll definitely have a, another conversation, but now is not no, the no. time. And they said, look, we'll, we'll, we'll meet, can we meet again a few days later, which was, I think, a Thursday. This was a Monday. This was a Thursday. We'd meet on a Thursday. So said, Fine. Got in the car to leave. And my wife, the minute she got into the car, said, if we had no kids, I would move to Minneapolis in the morning. Now, we had never been to Minneapolis. We'd never been to Minnesota. But she just got this amazing feeling, feeling. From, from Patrick, Michael, and Jerry. And fast forward a, 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 bit, a bit more then, we decided to, you know, before you'd make a decision like that, we needed to see what Minneapolis looked like, yeah. what Minnesota was like. So we decided to fly in on January 1st, Oy. 2020. Um, and we got there and... It was amazing because I've been through two more winters since, or three more winters since, is it? Yeah, three more winters since. Um, but for the four days that we arrived in Minneapolis that time, the weather was was lovely. The sun shone every single day. Oh. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. Trick. It was a there trick. There was snow, but there was no snow fell while we were there. And the temperatures were 37, 38. Oh. Yeah, and the O'Shaughnessy's are going, kind of like this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that part was not true. <laughs> no. So we, we, we looked and saw where we could potentially live, where we'd put our kids to school. And I, we got on the plane that time going home saying, this is definitely something that we could do. Hmm. And it was exciting, but also very, very daunting at the same time. Um, and then... Fast forward two months, the whole world changed. COVID right. hit. Boom. And we had started the process of the visa. Um, it got sanctioned on the US side, but we actually couldn't get into an embassy in, in Ireland to sign off the visa. And it was, it was a terrible time for everybody for lots of different sure. reasons. But when you're trying to make a, a, a major shift in your life for everything... Be, be it for your kids, be it for your job, everything. It was it was an even bigger, bigger daunting task. And there was moments where I was probably saying the easier option was to stay. And my wife, in fairness to her, was steadfast the whole way through going, this is something that we should really, really do. It's a great opportunity for you. 
It's a great opportunity for the kids and it's a great opportunity to go to another country and just just sample another another culture, another lifestyle. How often do uh, Patrick and Jerry and Mike and Patty thank your wife? <laughs> they they love my wife, so it's great. Because um, we met. Yeah. And yeah. I can sense that she's the steadiness and you're the loosey-goosey. <laughs> Thanks. Well, it's <laughs> no, it, but you're right. It's I endearing. Mean, so. It is, yeah, absolutely. And she, she, to be fair, um, had really embraced the move. She really was, like, you know, it was easier for me because I knew people coming over here. So ultimately, we were supposed to move in July 2020, but yeah. we couldn't. So we got over in August 2021. Mm -hmm. I started traveling back and forth from January 21. And, you know, it was building the relationships with people. Sure. When we moved with, with my wife and kids, we got here in August 2021 and she didn't really know anybody except for the, the O'Shaughnessy family, we'll say. And then she had a, a, to build relationships outside of the distilling circle. So right. kids, at, kids, parents right. at school and all of that. And, you know, that wasn't an easy, an easy thing to do either. I mean, people have, people were amazing. People have been extremely friendly, but it's still very, very hard when you're in your forties trying to build a new life as such. Right. Um, so like to her, I'm forever grateful for the push, but also for how much she's embraced it. And, and the same with my kids. I mean, I have a 16 year old girl now, 14 year old girl and a, a nine year old boy. They have just been fantastic. The way that they have embraced the change, the way they have made such an effort to really bed in and make new friends and enjoy life and and just experience something that they would have never got an opportunity to do in Ireland. That is no way in any way, shape or form downgrading what their life would have been like in Ireland because they love Ireland and I love Ireland and Ireland is still home to us. But they now have an opportunity where they, they're growing up and doing the education system in the U.S. And then they go back in the summer. So they're going back for a month now from July to August. And they go back at Christmas and they go back one other time a year to, to Ireland to see family and friends. So having that best of both worlds as well is great because you're keeping up your relationships back in Ireland, which is so important yeah. to us with our family and friends. But that, that global travel thing is so eye-opening for people it is and i also think it's much easier now with the technology that's there with the yeah. likes of facetime yeah because you can now actually when you when you want to talk to to family or friends you can actually physically see them yeah you know imagine 10 15 years ago when somebody moved over to the u.s even longer say 20 25 years ago it was a phone box yeah. You were you were getting on a you were going into a phone box, reversing the charges to say, I'm I'm here for a while, paying an absolute fortune, and then you don't talk for another week. Right. I talk to I, I talk to my mom every if not every day, every second day. And it's it's on FaceTime, so I can see her, she can see me. Yeah. And we both know we're doing we're we're doing well, you know? So you're and that's good. So I sense the family man part. That's easy to see. What what are like um I'm sure there are people out like, were you a whiskey guy before you went to Jameson's in no, Middleton? No, I actually, I really only got an appreciation for whiskey after I started in yeah. the distillery. And the reason I didn't really was because I didn't appreciate what went into the process of making it. Yeah. yeah. And I think as I started to understand the process of whiskey making and the, the attention to detail from effectively grain to glass was so intense, I got to appreciate 
like when you when you're drinking a glass of whiskey, there's been a lot, a lot of effort Work, yeah. put into perfecting that. And that's something that I appreciated and continue to appreciate to today. Well, I think back to like when I was I've been a brown guy for most of my life. Right. But when I went to a bar at, when I was 25, if you wanted bourbon, it was Jim Beam, Wild Turkey, and Jack, which, of course, you know, Jack Daniel decided he wanted it to be Tennessee yeah. whiskey. So I don't even call it bourbon if he didn't want to. But then now that was it. You could go into a bar now and there will be 10 Irish whiskeys. Yeah. If there was a Jameson bottle in there when I was 25, I didn't notice it or I was scared because it was in a green bottle. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't think, it amazing the breadth of whiskeys we're seeing today? Absolutely, and you know, even even as you see more Irish distilleries coming on board, you're actually seeing a, a greater uh, range of whiskeys coming to the US as well from Ireland. And I just think that's fantastic. Yeah. I think it's great for the Irish whiskey category, um, because you know it was the biggest category number of years ago as well. I mean, in the 1800s, it was the biggest uh, biggest whiskey category around the world. Um, but to see that rena renaissance happening again for Irish whiskey, I think it's great for all brands. It really showcases as well the, the, the different styles that people are trying to, to produce and, and, and uh, offer to consumers. It gives them a depth of different flavors to, to enjoy as well. And I, I just love to see it expanding. What do you think the percentages of people who walk into this tasting room who've never had Irish whiskey before? I would say there's there's a nice percentage of it. Are what's interesting for me is what I would I would kind of turn it around a little bit and say that there's there's a good percentage of people that would come in here that would have a preconception that Irish whiskey is too light, and some have a preconception that would be Irish whiskey drinkers that American whiskey is too robust. And I think by what we're offering here at the distillery, where you're showcasing the Irish plus American blends is showcasing that both whiskeys actually are their own powerhouses in their own categories yeah. and bringing them together, it actually works. I mean, you can just see the color yeah. change across these four bottles. Absolutely. You know and you're getting an extra dimension. Spirits. There is, yeah. And you're getting an extra dimension of flavor and taste from uh, one of the, the Irish plus American whiskey, which is a blend of Irish pots and Irish grain and American rye. Yeah. Um, compared to 100% Irish whiskey or 100% American. So you, you have, it's not a gimmick. There's actually a, a complete um, extra dimension of, of mouthfeel, of flavor, of taste coming from these whiskeys that people are appreciating when they taste. Well, and I've already said in, in my, on our Instagram feed that if you haven't been here, you need to come here. But what is your go-to cocktail in this tasting room and what is your go-to food item so that when, those, <laughs> when they come in, they can start with your favorites? Well, my go-to cocktail because I was never really a big whiskey cocktail drinker. Yeah. I was more of a, like a highball drink. When, when, I, when I used to go out with my friends in Ireland, I used, I used to drink more highball style drinks. Um, but I've become, because this whiskey is so versatile, particularly when we talk about, you know, versatility and, and, and experimentation in cocktails, the old fashioned here is absolutely sublime. And that's been developed by our beverage director, Pip Hansen, who is well known in Minnesota circles and Minneapolis circles for being one of the, the main drivers of the cocktail scene in Minneapolis. So wow. we're very fortunate to have him on our team. Wow. And he's put an amazing cocktail program together. For me, my go-to is always the old-fashioned. 
but there are so many different types of old fashions that we have. Then you've got your Manhattans and then you've got some more um, exquisite uh, cocktails as well that are just amazing to try. And the beauty of it is I think we cater, we cater for all taste profiles. And it's even great because people that come in here that have never drank whiskey, full stop. Yeah. Have left the distillery loving love whiskey yeah. and initially do it through their cocktails, but then have the, the, I think it removes the fear that whiskey is very, very harsh or very robust yeah. and you can't drink it neat. But after, after trying it in a cocktail, getting the flavors of it in a cocktail, then beginning to try it neat as well, I think is great. I think we're seeing uh, it's, uh, I'm not, we're not seeing it's happening. The world has started to say an old fashioned is X, but, but now because of, and I think tasting rooms are driving a lot of this. They're finding out that no, a cocktail is a spirit, a bitter, a acid, in most cases, citrus, and maybe a mix soda or something. And so an, an old fashioned used to be, you know, whiskey, sugar and bitters. Mm -hmm. That was the original. Yeah. And someone said, I can make this with rye. Yeah. And someone said, I can make this with scotch. I can make this with Irish. And thank goodness, because they're different. Oh, yeah. And they're all. And they're it, all different experiences. But it's all that same. Oh, it's. And I, I so I, I feel like people are learning to drink more cocktails that are more a representation of the spirit itself. Yeah. Than we've ever had before. And, and, and that was one of the things when we were putting the, the whiskeys together, that was at the forefront of our mind was our own versatility. Because if you want to be uh, a successful brand nowadays, it's not just about people that drink the whiskey neat or on the rocks. That right. landscape has changed dramatically. A lot of people now are experimenting. They're trying it in cocktails. They're trying it in long drinks. And you have to, you, you still want the whiskey to be the hero of those as well. Sure. And what we're finding is that the versatility of Keepers Art Irish Plus American and Irish Plus Bourbon lends itself to being great in all of those different situations, the neat, the on the rocks, and in the cocktail because the whiskey's still the hero in the yeah. cocktail. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so when you guys, you, you talked about Malaga. Yeah. Where are you sourcing the rest of your barrel? Is it former bourbon like most or? So what we're, what we're doing is at the distillery here, you know, we, we're doing our blending uh, with our sourced whiskeys, but we're also distilling American whiskey in the Irish style of triple copper pot distillation. Yeah. So we've actually laid down stocks of American single pot still, predominantly in virgin American oak barrels. We also have some refill barrels and the refill barrels that we're using would be some of the rye and bourbon refill barrels that we've got from our stock that's been aging that we dumped Dump, from MGP. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've also done a campaign of triple pot distilled rye and that's aging in virgin American oak, especially and also some refill barrels. Um, and obviously when you're when you're talking about doing a rye in refill barrels, it's it's not technically called a rye, it's, it's called an American whiskey from a rye mash bill. But it's, and, and to me, that term slightly sees to devalue the quality of the whiskey, yeah. which for me is totally incorrect. And it's just a TTB's it's just regulation. A, yeah, it's a regulation rather than anything else. Right. And now we're all, we're, we've just begun our campaign of, of triple pot distilled bourbon. And that's been really exciting. We've uh, we're, we've got our intermediate products produced and we'll be doing our first spirit still run on the pot still next week. So that's an exciting period to make sure that the quality and the 
the consistency gets developed over the next uh, over the next number of weeks to to be set into a a good holding pattern of consistency that's that's cool i i probably haven't told you this but it was our tour here with you that led me to double distill ah, okay some things because i wasn't it was a it was a kirschwasser which of course right. is cherry brandy yeah and i didn't like it and so it was just sitting in a barrel and i went back after that and I thought, triple alcohol. I mean, they're definitely saying it's the third distillation that makes it the best. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to just, I'm going to take some of this and run it through the still again and see what happens. And it became, it was, it was a huge difference. Yeah. And I, I think depending on the style of distillate that you're trying to aim for, you know, the, 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 the double and the, the triple distillation process allows you to capture more to the fore, the signature flavor profile that you want. Yeah. You're you're able to remove further congeners that allows the other the, the other flavor profiles that you want to come more to the to the front. And that's the beauty of it. Um and it definitely does the de deliver an ex an exceptional smoothness as well, particularly on a triple pot distillation. Yeah. See, it's okay to be a nerd. Yeah. We're, we embrace our inner oh, 100%, nerd. hundred percent, yeah, yeah, yeah. So why, why hide it? Why? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, all we have to do is say like three sentences and people go. Yeah. Huh? Some people might switch off, but you know, <laughs> we can't please everyone. I'm comfortable <laughs> with that too. Um, let's see. We've talked about your team. We've talked about, um, let's, let's go back a little more personal. We talked about heroes, but have, like, have you met Rory McElroy? No, I haven't met huh. Rory. Um, I'd love to meet him actually, because I do admire him. And what I particularly admire him is his tenaciousness about just keep on fighting, keep yeah. on fighting. And, you know, you can imagine when you're after being so successful for a number of years yeah. in, in, in PGAs and, and championships and all of that. And then you have this period where you're so close every time you know, it, it's a real mental game at that stage that you can, that you have the belief and he's just great because he just keeps on doing it and doing it. So I really do admire him for that. And what city is he from in Northern Ireland? He is from his, his golf course is the Royal Port Rush. Yeah. So Which is just is outside probably, of Port Stewart. Yeah. Right? So that's probably Antrim, I would say. Okay. I think, but yeah. I could be wrong on that. That was, that was when I, the one time I was in Ireland, we started in Port Stewart and okay. did the northeast coast of golf down to um, Dublin. Yeah. But you never went past Dublin. Yeah. You should have gone next to the time, real capital, time, Cork. Real, yeah. Cork is the Patty real capital. Tells, Patty <laughs> told me that. that was, that's actually quite good. <laughs> I like that. Um, let's see. Oh, here's another one that I wanted to ask. Is St. Patrick's Day in Ireland as big as it is here, or is it something we've turned into a holiday because we're not in Ireland? It's definitely very big in Ireland. Um, it's a national holiday in Ireland, so every every place shuts And they down. hate it when you say St. Paddy's Day, Oh, yeah, St. Right? Patrick's yeah. Day, yeah. yeah. And um, it's, so there's a great celebration there. Definitely it's on a bigger scale in the U.S., um, yeah, it's blown me away. I mean, we, when you see in Chicago, when they're turning the, the river green and yeah. you see the size of the parades all over, all Proud over the US, Irishmen across. it's fantastic to yeah. see. Um, but you, it is a big celebration in Ireland as okay. well. And do you, uh, are you a Guinness drinker or do you avoid beer pretty much? No, I would be, I would be a Guinness drinker. Yeah. yeah. Um, More I would so be than... during the winter, I would drink stout. Yeah. Um, so Murphy's are Guinness. So Murphy's would be the cork 
would be the Corker oh, is that, is that a drink. Cor- yeah. Okay. And then you'd have Guinness, which would have been, it's probably more available across the world than Murphy's would be. But I like both those stouts. And then in the summer, I would, when I, you know, I would tend to drink, if I'm, if I'm not drinking a whiskey, I would tend to drink a cider. Oh, yeah. Sure. So, um, but have you ever made that on your own, like at home? No, I've never made, I've never, I actually, would you believe I've never done any home brewing or distilling or anything like that myself? I've never, so I never did any distilling at all until I was legit. Like right. I okay. I yeah. wasn't cheating, making stuff yeah, at home. Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. But I did try the home brewing once. I didn't, basically what I decided was I'm not very good at this and there's a lot of good ones out there. <laughs> yeah, so, so why, why don't I just save my time? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Um, do you have a favorite Irish bar in St. Paul yet? I, I, you know, I haven't got one in particular. I, we go around, like we've been to Shamrocks. I, I do like Shamrocks. I like McGovern's. Um, there's the bar in St. Paul by me is shut down, being rebuilt, which is oh. Emmett's. Okay. Uh, so looking forward to seeing that open up as well. So I've been around and of course, are, we're very close to the Dubliner here. Yeah. And they've been great supporters of Keeper's Heart as well. So, you know, I mean, you, you just move around. But that's one thing I do miss from Ireland is I miss the locals. Oh, yeah. Um, it's different here. Um, it's it's still great to be able to go in with friends and have a, have a chat. But I haven't found a, a bar yet where... I can go in and I would sit down and have a drink on my own and, and meet meet people that I know. Yeah. And I suppose that takes time, you know. Yeah, we're after so. moving in. You're we're only here two years effectively. So two years in August. So, you know, that takes time. Do you, do you, I don't have time to do I it was anyway. Just say it. Um I plus mean, you're drinking, you know, you're not drinking, but like I I I've found that since I started distilling, I drink less. Oh, 100%, yeah. I mean, I don't, it's interesting. I don't come home in the evening and and, and go straight for a drink or anything like that. Yeah. I and just if I do, it's to get home. Yeah. And then I'm in bed. If I do, I what I prefer to do is just get home, spend some time with, with my wife and kids, and we do whatever we want to do on that evening, and then just maybe watch a movie, depending on the weather, we might go and go to a, a swimming pool or something like that, but... I don't, I don't really, I wouldn't be a person that would drink on a regular basis, yeah. you know? Well, we, when we, when we were walking up the steps here, I told you that it was uh, during my research that I found that Ireland is, you could fit two to three Irelands inside of Minnesota <laughs> and that Cork, which is the real capital, which is, the, I'm glad you got that, got that in. It's only yeah. the same size as the capital of Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little more. Yeah. Like 300,000, I think it said, if you include the total municipality yes of it, but yeah that's i don't i think it lends to the coziness of ireland i think oh it definitely does it's like like the way i describe the way i describe it when you like when you move from ireland to 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 the u.s the scale is just off the charts yeah like I would have done a fair bit of traveling early with my previous role doing different marketing events and sales events and stuff like that and you could go up and do it in the same day. You could drive up to, you could drive to Dublin and come back the same day. Yeah. Everything here is a flight. If you're going to a You'd different state, you're, you're getting on, a flight. on the flight. Yeah, it's it's just that side of it alone is really, um, the scale of it is mad, you know? It really you're, is. You're nearly moving from, I know you move from state to state, but you're also moving, nearly moving from a country to a country to a country. It's 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 crazy. It well, really I, is. And and I think um, I was talking with Patty about it. I don't think it's so much of a of an arrogance of 
Americans when it comes to European travel. I just think it's an ignorance. I don't think they realize how, like, if you take a train from Paris to Munich, it's like driving to Chicago. That's all yeah. it is. And yeah. you just, you not only have you changed, like, maybe <laughs> Ireland's the same way. Like, the Londoners don't like the Welsh, and it's, they're close. <laughs> Like in Cork and Dublin, I'm sure it's less like um, combative. Oh, when it comes to it, when it comes to Gaelic football, right? The, the the Cork people do not like the Dub people, and the Dubs do not like the Cork people. We we happened to be there. I hate that we didn't know it. We happened to be there the night of the Gaelic national championship. Oh, right! Wow. And so the town Dublin was bananas. Buzzing, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all these people were you know wearing their yeah. their kits, and we're like. What the hell's going on here? And then they told us, and we're like, "How did we not know this? We could have had tickets." <laughs> yeah, but you, you'd have been lucky to get tickets because right. you probably could these are one. sold out events. What what has amazed me since I've come here is that like our All Ireland finals would be you know eighty plus thousand people would attend the stadium, right? But then you come to a college game here in the US, and you've eighty thousand people <laughs> attending it every bloody week. A week, and it's just crazy. And yeah. then you see, and what what has really blown my mind is the size of the college stadiums, right? And that sometimes college football is even bigger than the NFL itself in oh, terms yeah. of in 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 terms of the attendances and all of that. There's probably ten colleges that put more people in their seats than any than the best NFL yeah. game, which is which is crazy weekly. weekly. Yeah, which yeah. is crazy. Do they tailgate in Ireland? Nah, or do you just go nah, to the local? You just go to the local, yeah, yeah, yeah. God. Tailgating is a is a new phenomenon for me since I came here. Yeah. I yeah. remember somebody saying to me for a game, will we go tailgating? I had no idea what they even meant by the word tailgating. Yeah. And then I found out and I said, Oh yeah, that's not a bad thing to do right. before. And a then game. some people take it to the point where you can't even believe what they're doing. Ah. But even like even they set up, it's like it's like they're moving in for the next <laughs> it's year, a and it's only for it's only for a couple of hours. It's just it just blows my mind. I was in um, I was at a tailgate for for Notre Dame at Notre Dame um with Marty? last year, not with Marty, oh, but what? with the O'Shaughnessy. What? Yeah. Oh well, Marty, Marty hasn't Marty hasn't invited me yet. You know, I'm still waiting for that invite. Come on, Marty. Um, but um. Just to see the setup and just to see the way people are having such a great time. And it's done for a few hours and then you come back, it's all gone. Everybody's moved on, you know? It's Seriously. amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Um, let's see. Besides Cork, someone's going to Ireland tomorrow. You're going to tell them to go see. Oh, if you're, if you're, if you're in coming to Ireland for the first time, you've got to see Dublin, right? You definitely have to. But Cork is, is a great place to to start traveling around the west of Ireland area. So go down to Cork, go to go to Kerry, go to Killarney, Dingle, West Cork. All of these places are just amazing uh, spectacles to see. And, and as I said, there's a great atmosphere in the bars there. There's great people, people. there. And then go to Galway. I love Galway. So they should, maybe, why wouldn't they fly into Galway or just? You can't, well, you can fly into Shannon. So Shannon. you could fly into Shannon. Is but that I where we flew in? Maybe we flew you into could Shannon. Have. You, you could have either flew into Dublin or Shannon. Yeah. Maybe, I, think, I think it was um, Dublin. But Dublin, I suppose if it's your first time coming to Ireland, the expectation is you, you want to go and visit the capital. Yeah. Um, but Galway is an amazing city and there's some fantastic bars in Galway as well. So I have to admit when we, we, we did the, the Guinness tour and all of my buddies were yelling at me to hurry up. I couldn't walk away from the Cooper video. 
where they're showing you how these guys build barrels by oh. hand. Uh, it's, it's 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 unbelievable. It's it's still it's sort a, of it's a an amazing craft. Yeah. It's an amazing craft. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I get that, mine from I get mine from the barrel mill in Avon, Minnesota. Oh yeah, and they have an unbelievable tour. I don't oh, they know do. How, yeah, I don't we, know how we were open up there. We we were up there yeah. um, a few months ago, myself and Patrick and 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 Mike Duggan and I think Chris Silver, one of our distillers here, and it was it was brilliant. And it's a hundred year old equipment. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So I think there's there's something else that I forgot to get into when we started talking about your brand, but. How many states are you in already? So we're in 20 states now. And how many countries outside of the U.S.? So we're in one other country, which is Ireland. Yeah, so we launched yeah. in Ireland back in March of 23. And the reaction in Ireland has been fantastic as well, which is which was great because you're always worried when you go back to Ireland with, you know, especially having me moved over and there was such a, a buzz about me moving over here. You're hoping that when the whiskey comes back in, your, that people will will like it and enjoy Hopefully it. Hopefully they took it as you're spreading the gospel. And, and in fairness, the, the, the support has been brilliant. Um, the reaction to the whiskey that when people taste it, they really love it and they really get what it's about. So that has been great. But in to think about being launched in August 2021 and being in 19 states in the US and Ireland is yeah. something that is not to be sniffed at. Yeah. Um, I'm staggered. I, I can't believe how hard it is to even get a distributor to take a look at me. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I know I'm small, but I, but what you guys have done is just impressive beyond. And I, I so. think a lot of that has done, has been down to building the relation, having the, the, the experience of, we'll say Mike Duggan and yeah. our sales team, um, having had knowledge of and friendships within distributors as well that have had built previous relationships sure. that had a trust that when they when we were talking to them about our brand and they were tasting the whiskey, they knew that this was something that was was worth looking at and worth supporting, yeah. and that is definitely that has definitely helped us. We also have direct to consumer where you can actually get it in forty states. So, oh wow, you know, from that point of view, it's 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 becoming like we decided in twenty twenty three not to go into any more states, and the reason we did that was. 20 states is a lot to try and manage and to try and make sure that you're not just spread a mile wide and not a mile deep. Right. So now for the states that we're in, we want to actually go deeper into them to make sure that the advocacy builds and that the interest stays and the momentum stays when you're not able to visit those states as regularly as you can because of just your, you, you need your distributor to do a yeah. lot more for you. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons we decided not to go into any more states in 2023. Our intention is to open up a little bit more in 24 again. Well, that makes sense. I mean, you're, you're still scaling up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we started to, we started to sprint before we could even crawl. Right. right. Like I remember starting when we, when we were originally looking at the distillery and looking at the capacity of the distillery and the requirement from the distillery was initially we wouldn't break a hundred thousand liters of pure alcohol for the first, oh, after only after year five, we broke a quarter of a million LAs last year. And that's about 60,000 gallons. It's roughly one to four. It's yeah, 3.78 yeah. or something so, like that. So, yeah, exactly. So we basically, um, and we have a capacity of 600,000 liters of wow. pure alcohol. And we now have, um, we're probably going to hit about 550,000 this year, which is which is phenomenal when you think about that. And it's phenomenal for the efforts that the team have put in to actually make that happen. Is there a plan to... 
put another one of these someplace? Because so I mean, the, the, what we what we're always looking to do is drive the efficiency, right? And to increase. You're the, the right capacity. guy for that. Yeah, and it's it's great because you're looking to you're looking to drive the efficiency and get as much extract as you can from the grain. Yeah, but you're also looking to look at the efficiencies around fermentation times, around you know where can we gain that extra bit of time to increase capacity. So what I would see our next step. And that might not be for another couple of years. It might be in 2024. We haven't fully decided yet as we'd probably go to a million LAs in that distillery here. Yeah. And that's a nice size distillery to have. And that's the kind of a size of a distillery. If you're, if you're starting off in a distillery now with a bigger brand or with a, with a, a bigger, uh, company, they normally would look at a million LAs as being a, as being a, a starting size Start, distillery, really? you know? Yeah. Well, um, anything I haven't asked? No, I think we've gone, I, I think we've gone through a, a lot. Um, I know I'm all over the place in terms of uh, the, the, the topics and where we want it to go. But I, I, I think people want to know you. Yeah. I think they definitely want to get to know this, but they need to come in and try Absolutely. This. I mean, this, this place here, uh, our, our distillery is 30,000 square feet, 15,000 square feet of distilling operations and 15,000 square feet of hospitality. I mean, it's beautiful. And it is beautiful. And I, what I love about it is the different areas and the different types of bars that are here. And particularly now during the summer, we have a container bar outside. Yeah. We actually won Best Patio in Minnesota uh, recently, which, we, uh, which is, again, another phenomenal um, yeah, accolade man. to achieve. Right. How much does these cost? No, <laughs> And... Basically, like we, the, the container bar outside does a lot of different slushies with whiskey. Oh, and, fun. And it's really great because it's showing the uh, versatility aspect of Again, the whiskeys as right. well and the cocktails, you know. Uh, I do remember one thing I wanted to ask you, and then I'm going to let you go. Master distiller, there's no class to get that. I get that at Jameson, it's the top distiller. But I... Well, there is actually a class to get master distiller. In, in Ireland or where? No, there's the Institute of Brewing and Distilling have recently launched a uh, course. So they, they do a, a, a certificate in distilling and then they do a diploma in distilling. And now they've brought out a master of distilling. Oh. So there is actually a That's class new, that though. you can do to achieve it. Yeah. I mean, I always say I'm a distiller, right? Right. Master distiller in my world is is a marketing term that's that you're giving for that you're given for, you know, your years of experience within what you're doing. See, but I think it's acceptable then. If someone said I'm the master distiller, how long have you been doing this? 12 years, I'd go, okay. Yeah. When it someone is. says they're the youngest master distiller in history, I go, so you're not a master distiller <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just hope to be. But I mean, the way I look at it, titles mean nothing to me, right? No. At the end of the day. We do our job together here as a team to to create great tasting whiskeys. Yeah. As long as our team continue to do that and we do it, uh, we do it together in the passion that we have since we started. That's what this is all about. Yeah. And that's always been my motto in any in any job I've been in. It's a team effort. It's not about one individual. And I think as long as you keep that in your mind, you're always grounded. You're all you're always understanding that, you know. I don't have all the answers. Mm. Nobody has all the answers. And until we are only working as a team, do you become successful? Well, that's great. Thank you. No problem. So pull tab sports production, lucky guys, cocktailogy. As you know, our tasting room is in Hudson, Wisconsin, but today we were here at keeper's heart talking with Brian nation. So grateful for your time. Thank you very much. Very enjoyable. But I'm not for everyone.